Do you not know that in a race, the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. The word of God. Please be seated. I think it's still appropriate to say Happy New Year, right? Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> happy, happy New Year. Hope your uh, New Year's resolutions are going excellent. Hope you're doing it well. I was, uh, I was actually quite inspired by this video by Pastor Raywin and her grandfather, Dr. Webster. Um, that was beautiful. Uh, Pastor Raywin, that was the, the greatest race. How many miles was that? 57? 55? You, you ran? By choice? Oh, snap. And your grandfather also runs races. He's, 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 I'm inspired. Who's up for a marathon? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> this text is a beautiful text in transition of speaking about running. Speaking about the wherewithal to be able to take on the race. Last week we acknowledged that church is people. It's you and it's I. And it's our desire this year in 2024 to nurture our togetherness, to do that intentionally. <clears throat> in chapter one from last week, Paul implored the divided community in Corinth to be united in Christ, not to be divided by Apollos or Paul or Cephas or even divided by Christ, Christ's self, but to be united together. Uh, he knew just how difficult it would be in the cultural influence of Corinth and the Roman Greco world to stay the course. And so he pushes the community forward, wanting to refocus the church back on being united in Christ, inclusive to diversity and various stats, uh, statuses socially racially, religiously, ideologically, politically, all those who belonged as people to the church. This morning, we find ourselves back in Paul's book, in his letter to the people in Corinth, chapter 9, and he's calling again for this sense of unitedness in Christ, He's calling for them to um, be aware of the greater culture that is around them. Uh, there is this place that they live and breathe and worship together. It's a, it's a young, fairly young, wealthy, uh, melting pot kind of a port city. There's a lot going on. It's, it's bursting at the seams. People are, are flooding in. It's a metropolis. He knew the strong cultural influence of this particular area. And so with the sophists and the divisions and all that goes about around them, constantly pushing at their social strata, embodied in the influence of the church, he wanted to make sure that the church was going to make it. 
that the church would continue forward. Paul presses the church not to be a mirrored image of the larger community, but to stay focused on a better way forward, an alternative way forward, an alternative kingdom to the kingdom that they found themselves in. I believe one of Paul's critical recipes in the book of 1 Corinthians for uniting people is to ensure that the church is sanctuary. The church is sanctuary. Sanctuary from the Latin sanctorium, sancto meaning holy, uh, aurium meaning uh, a location. It's, it's a uh, uh, or, or a something that holds together, like it, it, it's a container of sorts. So it's this holy container. It's this thing that holds people. Things uh, or people in this container are considered off limits. They're considered protected. Um, these, this kind of idea of a sanctuary just oozes, the, oozes out into the world and says that if you are in this space... You are protected because you are in a holy container. Paul wanted to make sure that the church is a sanctuary, a holy container. And of course, the sanctuary idea goes much further back than 12th century medieval England. We see it in the Old Testament. Sanctuary in the Old Testament. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, we see it in the prophets. We see it in Numbers and Joshua. We see these refugee cities of the Old Testament that were there to care for people. Kadesh, Shechem, Hebron, Bezer, Ramoth, Golan. All of these cities we find in the Old Testament are refugee cities. They're towns that keep people safe. We hear of the titles and the, the different themes that constantly are being weighed out in the book of Deuteronomy. Safety and, and care, laws that were created for the foreigners and the widow and the fatherless and the poor and the old and the hungry to create sanctuary. Sanctuary is just another way of saying a safe place. The church is supposed to be a safe place place and the church can say amen. A few weeks ago, I was sitting in Dr. Marnie Strain's office. We were having conversation about what the next quarter would like, what this current quarter would look like, how we would teach. We were co-teaching a, a course together and the conversation pivoted to family life and children. It pivoted right to children. And, uh, you, and we, we celebrated the, the, the diverse challenges and opportunities of being a parent. And we ruminated a little bit about how children have a particular way of living life at home that they don't do anywhere else. When they come home, all of a sudden, they're like different, different beings. Something has happened to them. And she shared an article that she had read uh, and I'll, I'll just kind of give you the premise of the article. The premise of the article was that um, children act this way at home because they feel like home is a safe place. It's a place where they can, uh, where they can try things, where they can uh, act out, where they can be themselves, where they can see modeling that would help them find a resolution and help them find ways to live life 
out in the public world. So if your children are crazy at home, well, just celebrate it because your home is a safe place. What a perspective. It was at that moment I realized my home is a very safe place. It's the Fort Knox of homes. Paul believes that the church should be this safe place. Safety is never devoid of frustration and annoyance and hard work, but safety is a prerequisite for vulnerability. And one is not able to go through healthy change without it first being vulnerable and open. And they can't do that unless where they are at is a safe place. Anne Lamont in her book, Traveling Mercy's Reader's Guide, pens, my coming to faith did not start with a leap, but rather a series of staggers from what seemed like one safe place to another. Ah, the awakening to faith happens when where we come together is safe. Take a moment, turn to the person next to you and say, hey, you are safe here. Now, don't yell it at them. They might not feel safe. Invite them into this place. You are safe here. Paul contends that the church in Corinth must be a safe place. So what does it have to do with our pericope this morning? What does having to be a, a sanctuary or the church being a safe place have to do with our time and our passage? That Paul writes, do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. Well, Paul in this passage is not dealing. Let's, let's talk what he's not dealing with. He's not dealing with uh, winning the Ismithian uh, race. That's not what he's talking about. Although that's what he's alluding to, the event that he's alluding to. He's not um, talking about being qualified or disqualified, as we would read towards the end of our passage, where he doesn't want to get disqualified. But that's, that's not really what he's talking about. Uh, he's not talking about our personalized, personalized salvation, like the work we need to put in to be winners of the race. My younger self would have read this and would have enjoyed the challenge my ability not to be disqualified, the work that I must put in. And, and though I have to admit, it, it was counterintuitive to the idea that God has saved me through God. I always thought, God, thank you for saving me, and now I've got to stay the race. And I don't know why that just appealed to me, but, but the idea of this rugged individualism that I can make it to heaven if I tried hard enough, and, and all of that good work of the gospel just floods out the window. Paul is not talking about that. He's not talking about focusing on my salvation. He isn't even addressing to be saved. Paul's theme in our book is the unity of a diverse community. That's what he's been talking about. That's what he continues to talk about. The diverse community that is un that united in Christ. It is exactly the opposite of individualistic gain. It is exactly the opposite of working your way to heaven. And here he points out that the work of unity is, for our passage this morning, a work of discipline. 
It is a work of discipline. The secret to creating safe spaces is learning how to put others before ourselves. The church can achieve unity when others become important, when other people matter, when we are able to say along with Beth Blom, it's not all about us, it's about all of us. But that takes true discipline because putting ourselves first is human default. For those who he speaks to in, in, in his time and in his context, Paul knows just how easy it is to slip into my, my, myself, self-gratification and, and self-preservation and, and the importance of my ideas and my gnosko, my, my uh, fully experienced knowledge. These things are important to each of us and we all have our very own. Paul understands that. So he continues this work as he pushes the people in his letter. It takes work and laser focus to be mindful of others and their experience. To give grace to someone divergent from my norm to feel welcomed and safe and belonging. You can imagine how difficult that was for the people in Corinth. You have mature Gentile followers of the way who had been following along. You have libertines who are coming along and they feel a sense of freedom in the word, in, in the church. Then you have Gentiles who are newcomers, uh, who are struggling with their old life, their old self, their old religion. And so they're, they're, they're very new to this whole thing of, of following Christ. Then you've got, you've got uh, a few Jewish followers, some legalists, other rigorists of, of the way. They're all in this space and they have more of a sense of entitlement and ownership to the religious community and the correct path to salvation. So they feel like they've got the best way of how a community should function. You have men and women who have to deal with the Roman family house codes. You have masters and slaves. There are people from all over the known world here in this community and each feels most comfortable with their own gnosko, their own experience. It would take a lot of work, single-mindedness and clear goals for this community to grow, but it is possible. I know it's not trendy to say today, but church really is, and Christianity really does take work. Church takes work. Being a community takes work in a world where churches invite you to come and relax and enjoy and feel good and leave. We are saying here at Las University Church that church takes intentional work from every member. Why? Because church is a community, not a commodity. And a community takes a diverse group of people pulling together intentionally. A commodity is something that one person gives, one person consumes. And church has kind of caught this, this fever where we're trying to constantly create a space for people to come and, and just, ah, this is my personal individualized breathing of salvation. No, this is a living body of God. And it takes all of us to keep the feet and the hands of Jesus moving forward. Church is a community, not 
a commodity. Paul knows that when we're able to do this, we'll begin to live out the Christ experience with a deeper lens of ourselves and our world. Paul knows that when we begin to lean into others, and this takes intentional work, it takes, it takes a, a, a laser eye focus, you have to be disciplined not to constantly bend back to what you want. But to constantly put others before you, Paul knows this great work. And he knows that when we begin to live this out, when we live out this Christ experience, it grants us a deeper lens of ourself and our world. That's why he writes in chapter 10, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. This is what church does. When we come to this space, we are looking that we might pour in to each other and not just come for what we would like to receive. Martin Luther King Jr. expresses it this way in the measure of a man. An individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. It is in this place where we begin to breathe deeper. Our vision broadens and the life of Christ and his sacrificial love becomes ours as a church. We see Paul allude to this through his writings. We see him broadening our narrow confines here in chapter eight, where Paul points out that the eating of food offered to idols are not a problem because we don't believe in other gods. Verse four says in chapter eight, there is no God but one. So he tells the people there, hey, if it's been offered to to temple gods, you know and I know there's only one God. Go ahead and eat that. Enjoy it. Let it marinate in your mouth. Have a good time. But then in verse 10, he, he, he shifts. In verse 10, he says, for, for if others see you who possess knowledge eating the temple uh, of an idol, might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to point of eating food sacrificed to idols? So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. Therefore, if food is a cause for their falling, not our falling, for their falling, I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fall. Paul says, hey, That temple meat is great meat. It's enjoyable. But if it's going to cause one of my uh, weaker brothers or sisters who are just coming up, I won't do it because I don't want to create a sin for them. To put others before ourselves. Anyone here ever tried to become vegetarian? Any non-vegetarians who tried to become vegetarian? Are you out there? Show of hands. We want to judge you. Go ahead and put your hands up. Okay, that's good. (laughs) you know how hard it is right you're like "Mm, tomorrow when I first um, hung out with Pastor Ben Pastor Ben back then was still trying to impress me we went to eat I don't even remember where we ate but but it was a vegetarian place because I'm vegetarian I didn't know at that time that Pastor Ben was a heathen so we just went together you know (laughs) ate the vegetarian food Pastor Ben then says to me he says he says, you know what? This vegetarian food is so good, I'm going to just become vegetarian today. And I was excited. I said, whoa, first of all, I didn't even know you ate of the meat. 
And now you're going to become vegetarian from one meal? I went back and I was so excited. I had to tell his wife because I knew his wife was a vegetarian. I said, tell me, ben, Ben's going to become vegetarian. She's looking at me, she's like, no. She's like, nah, she says that to everybody. You're not special. <laughs> Paul says, Paul, says, Paul, obviously an enjoyer of the temple meat, says, if it's going to offend my, my members, I'm going to become vegetarian. Wow, Paul. That's a big statement. That's a huge commitment. Becoming vegetarian is no small thing. Not that I'm saying he became vegetarian, but obviously his point is, man, this is really about others. Church is about being considerate of others, where they are in their journey, to come alongside and uplift and care for and support and love, and we're going to do this together because, because whether or not we're on the same page or we believe the same on something, we're going we're gonna to live the Christ together. Chapter 9, just before he goes into the passage that we're in now, 24 through 27, he points out that while he's free, he puts himself into a position of servitude towards others. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more, more of them. Paul takes a position of servitude, of enslavement, even though Paul is free because he recognizes it's not just about his experience, it's about our experience together. Chapter 11, as he goes into the communion passage, as he's talking about the Lord's Supper, this is what he writes. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? I remember back in this time, there were no beautiful churches. They met in houses. And so they would come to people's homes and there would be in people's homes. But instead of eating together in a banquet, instead of them sharing what they had so that each would have, you know, the story in Acts for us is such a, oh, and everyone shared and they, oh, they just multiplied and grew. Well, here in Corinthians, everyone ate their own stuff. They said, no, not for you. We brought our own lunch sack. And it says, some had so much here. I don't think he, he might have meant literally drunk, but I, I think he's metaphorically saying there was so much that some of you were getting drunk while others had none. There was a feast for some and a famine for others. How can we be one community and some of us are flourishing, letting others continue to fall in the cracks? This is not just about us. Church is not just about you or I and what we can get when we come to this place. Church is about us, the community of believers who come together and find life and our agencies of giving the life of Jesus. Paul knows that this kind of transformation is challenging and can be difficult, full of obstacles. But Paul also knows that it can be accomplished. He's thinking of these people in Corinth who have the external pressures of the culture around him, 
who have people speaking into their ears and into their hearts and into their minds. And then they come fill the church and they've got all this stuff that they believe is just theirs and, and that they believe that should be for them. And they believe, uh, um, you know, this is what they deserve. And when they come to the church in Corinth, that little church, and they don't get that, they leave and they're upset. And I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but that still happens today. We come to our sacred spaces and, and if, the, if, if we think somebody looked at us funny, Oh, did you see the way he looked at me? No, I didn't. He's in the dark. I can't see anybody. No, but I could feel him looking at me like that. Let's get up. Let's go to another church. If, if, if the music isn't exactly the way we like it, where, where, oh, you know, we felt a certain way about it. Oh, I don't know if we can go back to that church. And so we break into these little pods of homogenous people all over the globe because they look and they feel and they do more like us. But that's not church if we all look the same. Church is a place where there's a collection of diverse lives who would bend towards living for the grace of Jesus. That's who we are. I've said it once, I've said it a million times. Church is like a good potluck. Somebody say amen. Don't worry, there's no potluck today. It's like a good potluck. We have some good kimchi and bibimbap. You, you might have some good burgers. You'll have some lasagna because we're Adventists and there's always lasagna there. We'll have some tortillas there. We're, we'll, 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 have just, we'll have lumpia. And we'll have all of it. We'll have some collard greens. And that is a potluck. That is a place where we all bring a piece of who we are and we share and then we bring our children along and they say, Dad, that doesn't look good. And you say, eat it anyways. You give your children an opportunity to try something, right? And they, they may say, ah, oh, it's not for me. But then they may hit something and say, whoa, that's amazing. And that's what church is. We don't want to give you commodity this year. I don't want you to just come and consume so that you can have a conversation when you leave this place this year. This year, I want you to come and be community. I want you to bend into making this place a safe place. I want us to work hard so that our kids could see and be modeled to what it's like when God's people of all places, of all social statuses come together and there is enough for all. Yeah, it takes discipline. Yeah, it takes hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to take us some focus. Yeah, it's going to take some budget. Everybody say budget. Yeah, I'll tell you about it next week. <laughs> it's going to take some of that. It's going to take all of that. It's going to take everything within us. Do I believe we can do it? Yes, I believe it. Why? Because Paul believed it. Now, why did Paul believe it? Because Paul is writing to a people who he has worshiped with, who he is pastoring, who he cares for, and who at one time he was coming to kill. Think about that. 
Paul know what it's like to have his own particular gnosko, his own particular ideas. He knew what it was like to believe that he was right. And so he was going to come after these people of the way. He was persecuting. He was killing. He was damaging. That's who Paul was. We called him Saul once upon a time. And then he had a transformational experience with Jesus. And when he had that experience, he found a safe place with Ananias so that his life can truly be transformed. So when Paul says, do I believe this can happen? Of course it can. Because I know where I've been. This is going to be our story. This year, we're going to be intentional about pushing together because church is people. This year, we're going to be intentional about creating safe space for all of us. No matter who speaks into your ear through the week, no matter who you want to listen to in this space, we will all be the children of God. And let me tell you, that's going to be important. Because this year is an election year. Y'all remember? <laughs> you remember it comes every few years? You remember how we get? That's like right after that we stop having meals with our, some of our family members. <laughs> this year, we get to show the world what God's people looks like regardless of election years. Regardless of our story of our status, of our ideas, because here, church is sanctuary. Be well.